Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. We've all suffered post-traumatic stress disorder. The nightmares uh, continue. Just thinking that George Lovey is back on the streets and virtually controlling his own cards is absolutely ridiculous. I mean, not even the point, point right now where... He hasn't even got an ankle bracelet. Don Edwards, uh, who played for Team Canada, played for the Calgary Flames and the Leafs. And uh, the Edwards family still struggling with the fact that uh, Don's parents were murdered by George Lovey, who received a, uh, actually two first-degree murder convictions, and spent 20-plus years in prison. But now Lovey, as Don was telling us, and I've known the Edwards family since the terrible days their parents were murdered, uh, Lovey is now residing in his own apartment four days a week. The uh, parole board has decided that uh, that is appropriate. They are, according to uh, Don and the Edwards family, very concerned that Lovey will be getting full parole, and he has threatened the Edwards family since his conviction. So we look at the justice system in this country, and it is under investigation again. And the kind of investigation I think is going, that's going to develop that we saw in the 90s, Scott New York has been on this program the last couple of weeks, former Crown Attorney in Alberta, and former Executive Director of the Canadian Police Association. And we've talked to Scott about uh, where the justice system is going and what the popular interest is now, the populist interest. Well, we have uh, Dylan Millard and Mark Smitch. You know those names, I'm sure, over the last couple of weeks and from a few years ago. They are appealing their murder convictions, and questions are simultaneously being asked about whether there should be parole for convicted murderers. There are people who actually believe it never happens, that there is never going to be parole for convicted murderers. Well, there is parole for convicted murderers. It happens not that infrequently. However, however, what if, and this is a legitimate what if, what if you're convicted of a crime you did not commit? And what if that crime is murder. And I've heard people say, and I've had conversations with friends over the last few weeks, I've heard people say there should never be an opportunity for somebody who's found guilty of murder to appeal their sentence. There should never be an opportunity for them to be paroled, let alone freed. Well, my next guest would still be in prison for a murder he did not commit. Ron Dalton is the president of Innocence Canada. He served 12 years in prison, convicted of murdering his wife. He was innocent and released on appeal. Ron Dalton joins us on the Roy Green Show. How are you, Ron? Afternoon, Roy. Good afternoon to your listeners as well. When you hear that uh, no one who's convicted of murder should be granted the opportunity at an appeal that no one who's convicted of murder should be allowed out of prison at any time, that must make your blood run cold. It does. Uh, Generally, it's coming from people who don't understand the system very well. Uh, The fact of the matter is that if someone is legitimately convicted of murder, then that conviction will stand up to appeal. There should be no downside to having it strenuously appealed and sometimes at a couple of levels. Uh, I'm co-president of Innocence Canada these days. We work on cases when the courts are done of them, when all the appeals have been exhausted. 
And I can tell you that we've had a number of cases in the last 30 years where the courts got it wrong on several levels. They got it wrong at the trial level. They've got it wrong on multiple appeals. And finally, when it came to us, we've spent years reinvestigating and finding new evidence. And we've had uh, uh, 30 cases where we've uh, either had convictions overturned or were close to that. We've had 25 of them overturned. And we've got another seven or eight in front of the federal minister at the moment. And it's not easy, uh, Ron, as you know better than just about everybody in this country. It's not easy to have your murder conviction heard on appeal. Uh, it's not easy to have it heard. It's, uh, it's very difficult to have it overturned. Mm -hmm. uh, you and I today enjoy the presumption of innocence. If we happen to get arrested and charged with a crime, we go into the court system presumed innocent. A convicted murderer, once they've been convicted, the onus is on them to prove their innocence. They're no longer presumed innocent, they're presumed guilty. And that's a much higher bar to, to clear. We don't like interfering with decisions, particularly when they've been made by juries. So it really takes overwhelming new evidence to show that mistakes were made to get a new trial, which is the most positive thing that can happen. And then uh, very often the, the Crown will decide they don't want to retry it. Now, you and I would uh, would vehemently object, I'm sure, to Paul Bernardo receiving uh, an appeal, uh, allow, being allowed to go to court. And uh, I'm, actually, I should speak for myself. I shouldn't speak for you. I would vehemently object to Paul Bernardo uh, appealing and having an appeal heard in court, having his prison, his, uh, his murder convictions um, heard in court. How do you feel about that? I, I kind of share your view of, of the Bernardo case, and there's other cases like it across the country, but I don't share your view of not having the, the entitlement to an appeal. Because if you start making exceptions for the Paul Bernardos and for other notorious uh, cases of serial killers, uh, Robert Picton comes to mind, uh, all of those people are entitled to try to appeal their sentence. And as I say, if, if the conviction, conviction is righteous, it will stand up to appeal. Mm -hmm. It's a visceral response. Of, of course it right? is. It's, it's just a visceral if you response. Take, if you take that right away from Bernardo or Picton or other notorious cases, then you're opening the door to take it away from any of us. No, I understand myself, that. Myself included. Yeah, I understand that. And uh, I, I know the French and Mahaffey families personally, and uh, got to know them very well um, during the investigation. And I was the uh, national trustee for the Victims Assistance Fund for the families during the uh, Bernardo trial. Now, Ron, parole is being debated in this country, with the Supreme Court of Canada having ruled concerning consecutive parole ineligibility instead of concurrent sentencing, allowing each murder conviction or parole hearing opportunity after 25 years. What are your thoughts on that? When, uh, is, 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 is it appropriate to say, look, you were convicted of two first-degree murders. We are going to make it incumbent on you to wait 50 years, so two times 25 years, in order to have a, um, an opportunity for a parole hearing? Or do you think the Supreme Court did it correctly when they said we're, we would have these, these uh, disqualifications changed and you'd be disqualified from a parole hearing? for 25 years, and however many murders you commit, those ineligibilities would be, uh, would be concurrent. 
there there again is is a danger if you say that all sentences have to run consecutively that's uh, that goes against the interests of justice uh, if you say that they should all run consecutively it sounds like everyone after the first one is free but the reality is that convicted murderers either of second degree as as I was or first degree people with a minimum 25 years to serve before they can even apply for parole uh, those are cases that are still serving life sentences. And people tend to think uh, that the public, if you don't know any better, will think that life means 20 or 25 years or whatever minimum term has been applied. But the reality is if you're serving a life sentence, you serve that until you die. The Correctional Service and the Parole Board have the authority to keep you behind bars for as long as, as they want. Uh, the fact that uh, uh, Mr. Burke up in Moncton had three life sentences with 75-year minimums, 25 stacked on top of each other, right. uh, had that reduced recently to a 25-year minimum, in no way means that he'll be released after 25 years. It simply means that he'll have the right to go to the parole board and ask them. For yeah. that. It's very unlikely that either he, Mr. Bernardo, Mr. Picton, some of the uh, more serious cases will ever be released on their minimum period of time they have to serve. And if they ever were, same with everybody serving life sentences, they're conditionally released. Lifers are on parole for all of their days. They still are subject to supervision in the community. They still have restrictions on their liberties and they still have to abide by conditions. They're far from free. You've told me in the past that when you were serving time in prison, you were in 12 years, right? Well, I served eight and a half years in prison, but it was over a 12-year period. I had a retrial after my appeal was successful, and I had been on bail for a year and a half uh, beforehand. So. So, so you told me, Ron, on several occasions that uh, you met individuals in prison you know were not guilty of the crimes they were convicted of. And, uh, and, and how often does that happen, do you think? Just I don't know, just off the top of your head. It's a, it's a tough thing to get a handle on, Roy, yeah, because think. nobody really knows. Uh, the best studies that have been done have suggested between 4 and 8% of convictions may not be proper. Uh, I know in, in my case, when, when my own conviction was overturned, my retrial was over, I was finally free and, and exonerated, I knew there was people like me left behind, and, and I felt the, uh, the tug at my heartstrings to keep involved in this process. I've been out for 25 years now, I don't have to be hanging around Innocence Canada or hanging around courts working on cases of people who are wrongly convicted. But I know that there's people like me that need the help. So I think if there's anything I can do to help them, that I will. Uh, Innocence Canada is not interested in freeing guilty people. We, we have the word innocence in our organizational name by design. We work for people who are innocent. And, and as you and I have discussed before, uh, sometimes in exonerating the innocent, we're actually able to identify the guilty. Yeah, you, you've done remarkable, remarkable work, and you do remarkable work at Innocence Canada. Whenever you and I talk, I talk about um, a mutual, uh, well, he's your friend. I got to know him quite well over the years, and that's David Milgard. And uh, it took David 23 years to be released after being convicted of a murder he did not commit. And the actual killer... Uh, Ron, as uh, again, you know better than I, was not hard to find. Police uh, had every reason to arrest, charge, and take to court Larry Fisher, who eventually, uh, after David was was released, was convicted, 
of the murder that uh, David spent 23 years in prison for, uh, completely innocent. Sorry, uh, David not only spent 23 years in prison, he was out on parole for another six years before we exonerated him using DNA. It was one of the first DNA cases in Canada. We actually had to go to the UK to have the DNA tested, but the DNA testing excluded David and proved that it was Larry Fisher's DNA that was left at the crime scene. So it wasn't that difficult. It may have been more difficult 30 years prior, but a good thorough investigation even then would have uh, would have identified yeah. Larry Fisher. Yeah. And, uh, and, and David, after 15 years, um, Correctional Service Canada or the justice system, offered him an opportunity to, uh, to be released if only he would, uh, he would admit to having committed the murder. And his response was, I didn't do it. I'm not going to confess to something I didn't do. And he spent another eight years before the process began to um, actively began to get him out. Ron, just remind us, please, if you would, of the journey you took over that uh, eight and a half years in prison, and then the time it took until the justice system uh, understood and accepted with forensic evidence that you were not guilty, that you were innocent, and and uh, I don't want to use the word set you free. That's that seems sort of like a throwaway phrase. Provided justice where it had been absent for you. My own story goes back to 1988. So we're going back into the the dark ages at this point. Uh, I was convicted in the following year, 1989, of second degree murder, giving a life sentence with a 10 year minimum to serve. I spent eight and a half years in a maximum security prison trying to get my appeal heard in the Newfoundland uh, Court of Appeal. It took that long in, in those days because transcripts had to be prepared manually. You had to find somebody willing to work for legal aid rates, and, and it was a very slow process. Uh, once my conviction was overturned, a new trial was ordered. In the year 2000, I was finally acquitted. A dozen years after, I, I had been arrested and charged. Uh, and then we started a fight for compensation. I launched a civil suit. That was interrupted for three years by a public inquiry looking into my case and and two other cases, which resulted in some changes and improvements to the the way the Court of Appeal in Newfoundland in particular operated. So these are the ways that reforms are made to the criminal justice system is is through appeal courts and public inquiries and lobbying. And then when all that was over, I decided that uh, I had to look around and try to find a way to give back. And that involved volunteering with Innocence Canada. And for the last uh, uh, 10 or 12 years now, I've been on their uh, uh, executive and, and I've been one of the co-presidents for the last seven or eight years. Yeah, your story really really strikes a chord uh, with so many people. You were convicted of murdering your wife, but it was a case of uh, your wife having um, choked on a piece of hard breakfast cereal and if the medical investigation had been handled properly, appropriately, by somebody with experience, you more than likely would never have found yourself um, um, or that's, would have been a good chance you never would have found of, that's, that's part of the problem we have in any small jurisdiction in this country. We don't have a lot of homicides, which is a good thing, but we don't develop a lot of expertise in handling them. Uh, in Newfoundland, back in the late 80s, we didn't have trained forensic pathologists So we had some hospital lab pathologist doing an autopsy, thinking he had a crime where he didn't. Uh, It echoes what went on in the Charles Smith cases in Ontario, where we had a a pediatric uh, pathologist doing uh, forensic autopsies on babies. 
and got a lot of them wrong. And once they're wrong, it, it brings us all full circle back to our discussion on appeals. So, yes. Uh, had had the, they got a second opinion in my case or the Charles Smith cases, uh, most of those would never have been prosecuted if they had checked with somebody who was qualified and board certified to look at the evidence. They they would have known they didn't even have a crime on their hands, which which is why I think uh, anyone who's been convicted should still be entitled to have their case reviewed by a court of appeal. Reviewing, as I said before, reviewing a case uh, is never going to do it any harm. If the case is a righteous case, if, if it deserved to be uh, someone found guilty, then the appeal will uphold that. But if there's holes in the case, then that should be brought to light, both for the sake of the wrongly convicted person and their family, but also for the uh, criminal justice system. None of us want murderers running around. If, if the wrong person has been convicted of murder, that means that a guilty party has been allowed to run free as the uh, uh, Larry Fisher was for 30 years while David Milgard served the sentence. If you want to hear more, subscribe to The Roy Green Show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you find your favorites. And if you like what you hear, leave us a review and tell a friend. I'm Roy Green. Have a great weekend.